Mr. Detweiler, sir? Huh? Oh, Uh, hey, you must be the new kid. Come on in. Yes, sir. Uh, Pleased to meet you. (laughs) Please call me TJ. Everybody does. Uh, all right, TJ. Thanks. Um, I'm I'm really excited to start working here. This is my <laughs> first first job out of college, and uh, I I think I'll do a good job. Ah, uh, you remind me of myself when I first started here. When I got here to Third Street Industries, um, let me show you around the place, new kid. Uh, sure. Uh, <laughs> my Let's my take name a is walk. Stan. Okay. Uh, I'm afraid you're just gonna have to be called the new kid for a while. It's you know sort of a business charter. Oh, it's like a like an office joke. Well, Constitution, really. Oh, wow. Let's take a walk. Okay, I guess so, that's fine. So, let's see here. We got mailroom kid. Uh, there's PowerPoint guy. Mm, you want to stay clear of Mr. Mrs. Fritzter. Uh, rumor has it she's tapping the boss. She'll have you thrown out on your ear if you look at her wrong. Ooh. Uh, o- over down the way, uh, those are the dwellers. They, they do the programming. Uh, they can't handle the bright lights. Um, oh, and here we have the copy girls. Hello, ladies. Scandalous! <laughs> little little copy girl humor for you. Um, okay. Do, do any of these? Do they also have names? Is it just new? Is it like new kid? Everybody catches on pretty quick. You'll see how things are done around here. Um, All right. Oh, speaking of which, here's Coffee Boy. My name's Joe, asshole. <laughs> Classic Coffee Boy. Uh, yeah, we we all we all get along with uh, little colloquial names. It's sort of something to make make the day a little bit easier. It makes makes us more like friends than actual colleagues. Well, it's it's certainly <laughs> more fun than oh. Don't look now. Be very still. Interns. Classic coffee boy. Classic coffee boy. That guy at the office. <laughs> oh, man, why didn't we have a that guy at the office? Because <laughs> that's who TJ is. Oh, is he just that guy? He's that guy. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the only, like, thing in this show that's, that, that like, carries on is, like, we do actually consider people that guy. Every person in this show is a that guy for a different demographic. Ooh, yeah. Um... Okay, Zane, let's get started. Yeah. Hello, everybody. My name is Ben. My name is Zane. And this is the Carton Cast, where we review old cartoons and see what we think of them as adults. The Cartender Cast. What is that? <laughs> tender. He always said that. That was like his catchphrase. Tender. Oh, yeah, like legal tender. Or also, he just thought something was like tasty. I, I think more, le- more <laughs> it's often. It's a lot like better than Randall's t- line, moist. <laughs> Randall, it's so rich. Thanks, Randall. <laughs> Randall's Randall's problematic for a number of reasons. <laughs> yeah, least, least of which is scoliosis. <laughs> like for God's sakes, I I don't know. I think TJ actually has like this like there's like a part of his personality that is like an intensely money grubbing. Yeah. No. Well, uh, I'll get into exactly why that is. Okay. Uh, well, I, I can't wait to hear about that. But uh, 
Zane, uh, let's let's talk about what we're watching today, which is Recess. Yes, Recess! Exclamation point. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try... Recess! Uh, Recess! Was produced by Disney. And Recess, ran, real monsters! And, and ran from 1997 <laughs> to 2001 on ABC Kids and Disney's One Saturday Morning Block. It was made by uh, Paul Germain and Joe Ansolaby here, who worked on Lloyd in Space and Rugrats, among other shows. Good pronunciation. Yeah, and I spelled time, it out ahead of time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you had to like type it into Wiki, like Google Translate. No, I just did my best guess and broke it up into syllables. Good enough. Um, yeah, so th- this was a. Uh, it, it premiered on ABC, but then it it had like this really lasting appeal and success, which is very. I mean, it's obvious when you watch one episode of it, you can see why exactly it caught on. Yeah, and um, it. Got syndicated by a bunch of other networks, such as Toon Disney, Disney Channel, Disney XD, all those all those spinoffs where they keep milking very, very ancient horses. Yeah, and it's not so much that... Because <laughs> you milk a horse, you see. <laughs> I was just going to gloss over that. <laughs> you can lead a horse to water, but you, you really shouldn't milk it. You should not milk. And that, that boy ain't right. Not milk. Um, yeah, and, and it's not that the show is hugely different from other shows of its time it, i think it's just that it has a lot more polish to it polish is a very good word for this for this show um this is so so the the conception of this show is that it focuses on the phenomenon known in american uh formerly known schools known as they took recess. it away they want our kids to be robots <laughs> known as recess wherein of course i don't need to tell anyone of our regular audience this but you know the the show doesn't focus on their actual classwork very rarely are do they even make it to the cafeteria this show takes that little segment called recess and just like builds this weird class structure and governmental like policy around it mm-hmm. where it's like a little microcosm of 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 the real world and and that's where all the humor is sort of derived from because you can see all the analogies that these kids are following in a kid setting that mirrors the real world. Right. And and it's almost sort of a, a pro-recess kind of show in that a lot of teachers and, and you know, people trying to change the education system are, are, well, teachers generally like recess because, hey, man, that's a break for me. Um, <laughs> yeah. But some people are trying to get rid of you it. You get to saying, weep like, in the corner. <laughs> no. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> release. <laughs> Um, like, no, we need to spend more time, you know, testing them and, and, uh, you know, teaching them X, Y, Z, it's going to be important. And it's, the show kind of goes through the adventures of kids who, by virtue of having recess, of having the ability to explore their own identities among their peers uh, in a constructive way, they're learning a lot of the things that they, you know, that people think kids should be learning in the classroom. Right. There, I mean, you don't become a fully functional adult by reading the books and understanding the material. You, no, you do it by it. supplementing your everyday social experiences with knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. So this this show really kind of, the moral of this show, the thrust of this show is that it, it's saying the lion's share of child development is done on the playground. And it's Maybe not not exactly right, but it has a point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, Zane, you must have very strong opinions on recess, given your stint as a uh, high school teacher. Well, I mean, high schools don't really get recess. Not not high schools, no. But like your your affiliation with uh, your affiliation with the academic structure and um, you know, kind of the way in which school has been commercialized to become more of a business than an actual learning environment. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you had any any strong opinions on that. You know. Where I taught, the um, the relationship between the teachers and the students was actually kind of similar to the one in this show in that, um, you know, students will, for whatever reason, think that a certain system or rule or something is unjust um, and they will. And, and a lot of the teacher's job is to, like, enforce something, even if they would rather not for the sake of consistency. Like, a kid will really force their hands to, like, see if they'll back down it's they do it constantly and it's almost more of like a prison guard sort of relationship it is like Um, and 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 the show really plays that up to the point of which uh miss finster having a fucking snitch on her payroll yeah (laughs) that she like tosses cookies to hello what's this how very very moist so uh I think I think what the really interesting part about this plot structure is it, it's all about this compression of space and time into an incredibly narrow structure where nonetheless you have to have all of your personal growth. So the plot structure entirely takes place in a 20 minute period of the day. Is it really 20 minutes? I thought it was longer than that. Recess? I mean, for them? Where where did you go to the the where did you go to school? You went to school where I went to school, but it's it, it, like I'm I'm pretty sure it's only isn't it like twenty minutes? I feel like they reference this. I remember times. it was like thirty for us. I feel like in this show it's supposed to be closer to an hour. It doesn't matter how long it is because it gets com- it's compressing an entire day down into it. Well, it's the only thing that these kids really care about. Well, okay, there's that as well, but it's also like. It, going even farther beyond the scope of what narratively makes sense, if you take it uh, onto the scope of the show, everything important has to happen within this completely um, isolated bit of kind of non-important uh, child development. Well, it's it's interesting you say not important because you know, I mean, from of the course, child's it's perspective, important to it some is. degree because that's why they have recess. But well, the you know. the whole thing is like. Children, after a certain point, children stop being influenced by their family and start being influenced more by their peers. And so this is the time of the day when a child's development, their identity, will really start to develop. Um, this is when the majority of that happens, when they can just freely interact with each other. Like, when when they're with their peers, trying on different aspects of identity and coming back to that same core space but maybe developing a little bit in terms of their tastes or their interests and there's something to that because like you know how classroom works you know how home life works unless you're like gus griswold in which case you might be like forced to you know like retar the roof or something like that um i I just have this idea that he has a terrible home life that he's running away from all the time i didn't get that sense (laughs) um oh spinelli is certainly that oh some of them but, but um, there, there's something to that because this is like, I mean, I have more stories from recess than I probably do from all of my elementary school. And it's because yes. that's when the conflict was allowed to happen. So that's when it did happen. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so in a weird way, I guess this is kind of self-reflective of, you know, the actual important moments of, uh, of, of school. But it, it, it just strikes me as very strange the way, you know, you have like random Disney shows. You got like, um, even Stevens, or you got your, your sweet lives of Zach and or Cody. Um, and their, their struggles, their, their, their personal development happen over the course of entire days. They happen in many different biomes, environment, probably environments more than by episode. Of, <laughs> this is the episode where burst, where where even Stephen, which is his name, gets like trapped in the desert and has to find a way out, and comes across the elephant graveyard, which is really awesome. Yeah, when, remember that time when Zach had to eat Cody? <laughs> yeah, or, or the other way around, take shelter I, in his carcass. I I never bothered to associate a face with the name. It's not important. I mean, it's only there for the scant twenty minutes before he's eviscerated. <laughs> Who's gonna win this one? Even Listen, or Steven? You never, you never develop a personal relationship with your livestock, okay? It's the same <laughs> they each get a, I'm surprised he wasn't just called three or something like that. Cows don't talk, Cody. Um Yeah, but it it is a, a short span of time and it's you know, it's interesting you, you said like twenty minutes, because that is, you know, how long a TV show is, although this one separates it into like 10 or 11 minute chunks right um but yeah a lot of the plot lines involve the kids changing their identity in some way either to fit in or they have a new hobby or because everyone else changed and they have to adapt yeah this is when the revelations happen but by the end of the episode they always realize it's okay to be themselves right and that's where it's cleaving pretty pretty strictly to the standard disney fair i just yeah, think yeah. it's interesting that it happens in such a in such a narrowly defined uh scope sure and it's also what makes it really funny funnily like non like, it doesn't obey my conceptions uh like my temporal conceptions because like there's so much going on over the course of 20 minutes that couldn't possibly happen that like i don't know it's it just messes with my conceptions in a really satisfying way. Well, it, it does that in time and in space and their social interactions. The show oh, yeah. thrives. The show funded thrives, this playground? The show thrives in situations that aren't technically impossible, but will clearly never happen. Oh, yeah. no. And, on and each of those a, scales you mentioned. They have so much fun pushing that boundary, too. Like, there's this one point when uh, TJ and his crew are like, outdone by a new crew headed by lawson like he's trying to put together like a competing entourage or something Fuck, fucking lawson <laughs> yeah it's just lars it's just lars from rocket power they're like we need a nemesis what's his personality <laughs> i don't think you heard me <laughs> douchebag that's not really a personality it's more of an archetype nope it's douchebag so have I you have noticed that the, have you noticed that the characters with actual personalities get actual names and everyone else just has a title oh like swinger girl yeah. Um, it's a thing they do because they didn't bother giving them a personality. It's it's a little bit of Samurai Jack, I think. Mm -hmm. Like, they're only so important as they have a function. Um, right. And, but, but I, like I was saying, like, the, like the, they take the absurdity to new heights in that episode because they have, like, this montage of Lawson and his crew solving a bunch of playground problems. And it, like, <laughs> fast forward for th through this moment where, like, they're, like, shaking hands with the mayor and like some guy in like a wolf mask is being escorted off by the cops <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like it turned into an episode of scooby-doo somehow 
Yeah. And well, that, and that's like, a... it's just real, real funny the way it very quickly gets too absurd to be believable, and that's where the plot starts. And and part of that unbelievability, and and you touched on this, is the teachers and the adults fully buy into this society that the kids have made. Ooh, uh, can we take a brief moment where I wait for this car to stop having its alarm go off? You could try. All right. Uh, it'll probably happen in the next minute. Ben, you gotta move out of Philly. Dude, you just <laughs> you just gave us a two week hiatus because you you forgot if your mic worked or not. No, it just stopped and then started again and this it stopped not, again. This is not my bad. I'm I not taking the fall on this one. I literally brought it to the guy at the tech desk and I'm like, and as you can see, it you know when I press record, it doesn't. Oh well, well I guess it does, but <laughs> but, but usually point, it doesn't. Sir. <laughs> but usually it doesn't. <laughs> but... Do you have a cream for that? In conclusion, I hate you. <laughs> and myself. Myself by extension. The car's uh... really going to town, isn't it? Yeah, it it happened last night and stopped after about a minute. <laughs> I hope it happens again. <laughs> I don't know why. Like, car horns are really annoying when you're up close, but hearing one through the Skype connection... It just sounds really funny. <laughs> funny how? Like, I don't know. Like, you know that time in Family Guy when Stewie just keeps on saying, like, Mom, Mom, Mom. Like, it's kind of like that. I really hated that part. I'm surprised that you find it endearing. I mean, it was funny the first time. And this is the first time I've heard that car. And now you don't hear that car. Magic. Yeah. Um, so but yeah, um, so so the teachers buy into the society the kids have made. Is the point I was making? I, I would almost say that they like they structure their world such that the kids' society mirrors their own, <laughs> like with infinite like relatability to Principal Prickly, who is just TJ grown up, right, <laughs> with right. a wig. So I do want to talk about that relationship kind of a lot. <laughs> that's that's totally fine. But why don't we set up uh, the characters independently first, and then we can get to it. Okay, sure. So this is a classic six-man band, um, and uh, classic, classic. No, it's like six, it's like the Power Rangers. They are extremely archetypical. They are, and that's that. That, that was my main problem with this, um, which I'll get into in a second. But they have far more characterization than you'd expect for kids of that age. So in uh-huh. the same way that this show kind of compresses space and time in a way that's confusing, it also like ages all of these kids to the point at which they can articulate their incredibly like detailed personalities yeah so they're established as being in fourth grade but they're you know they're forming political uprisings at at least a ninth grade level (laughs) well the 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 funny thing is they present all of these things that uh you were talking a little bit about you know a communist revolution earlier yeah off mic um and how it's represented in that one episode um and <laughs> well, and TJ... and that's all set up in a childlike setting with preoccupation with childlike things but yeah. all of the topics are decisively non-childlike I, so there's I, this I, weird age dissonance that i liked mm-hmm. but i didn't know what it was going for there there is this you know I, i'm not sure how well most of the show carries it but tj definitely really feels like the prototypical american before the type god damn it <laughs> um but yeah the, like 
I don't know what it is in media why people are always younger than it makes sense for them to be. Like, I, the more I think about it, the more I realize I see it everywhere. You know, you read, you know, Game of Thrones or Ender's Game or something like that, and, like, everyone is super young for kind of no reason. That's, it's not for no reason. It's the same thing you get with JRPGs. Like, everybody's younger than they than they should be to be able to fight monsters like they do because you want to relate to your main core audience, which is, like, 20-something males. I... I, I think sure it's just how much I buy that. <laughs> I think it's just an audience thing, man. With the exception of the adults in this show, who are mm, about sixteen, <laughs> they're very petty. Give and, or take, uh, <laughs> petty is the perfect trip. word for them. Well, the thing is that the relationship between the kids and the teachers—it's it, almost more like uh, uh, prison guards and prisoners who have to constantly negotiate their boundaries because. You know, they are so much more similar in terms of uh, their moods and, and their personalities. It's just like us versus them. It's it's almost like um, Hogan's Heroes or one of those, like, prison escape dramas. It, it does seem that way. Like, I was getting shades of Shawshank Redemption when, like, Principal Prickly is opening the blinds and, it, and he's, like, closing them real quick with his, like, eyes squinting. It's like he's seeing them closing in on him. They like, really they've surrounded the, me. They really play up the prison aesthetic when uh, when it's relevant. They do. Um, but TJ is this uh, American everyman who, you know, he works within the system and does loopholes, but then sometimes he works beyond the system. Well, and... well hang on just a minute, because I'm, I'm not quite done. I want to discuss the problem that I have with this six-man band. What? The variety of this six-man band, it's fine. Like, I, I get why they have, they have to have the archetype equally represented in all ways across the entire band because you're trying to you know, relate to your, your audience, which is, could conceivably be any of these kids. Right. Um, but that really works best when you have a reason for different kinds of people to adhere. Like, what do you uh, mean? So let's take Teen Titans, okay? There you had five very, very disparate personalities. They were well fleshed out because they had traumatic pasts, every single one. <laughs> and they had a reason that they couldn't look for people like themselves, like their own personalities. Like, uh -huh. like uh, Raven doesn't have like a goth group to hang out with. I um, see, yeah. Th because they're all they've got, necessarily speaking. Okay. Well, did, how often in, in elementary school did you just ditch your group of friends to see if, you know, you could become friends with somebody else? No, you, you develop a little bit, and then if that personality development Ugh, carries but, you but away from Gus people. But that Spinelli, is, though. Gus that's and Spinelli, though. That's a process. What? Gus and Spinelli, though. Yeah, they're friends. Gus and Mike, or Vincent, Vince and Gus, they don't work at all. Well, we see Gus join them, and that's kind of its own thing, but... I guess so. Else kind of makes sense. What about Gretchen? Gretchen and Vince? Oh, the Grundler? The Grundler? So they're they're all tied together by TJ's charisma, Ben. I mean, I, I, you can you can make that argument, but just let me... like the states in the early Americas. How how about this? Power Rangers. That that yeah. group that group group would not have happened, and that's no, what this reminded they, me of. Uh, a great deal. What are you talking about? They all shared a passion for martial arts and gymnastics. Yeah, Billy certainly they, did. And then they grew up, and they're like, "Hey, guys, let's." color coordinate every day for the rest of our lives <laughs> <laughs> all i'm saying zane all i'm saying is that tommy would have fit in great with bulk and skull <laughs> that's all i'm saying uh, um but okay. so would lawson yeah that's true 
But like, okay, so to give you another point of another another point of kind of relatability for this, um, mm-hmm. think about the Breakfast Club. Ugh, uh, not a fan. Not really. Although I, I, I like I it will... less and less as time goes on, but I still have some affection for it as kind of a classic as my as I was growing up. Uh, I mean, the, the, it reminds me of this show in the sense like the nerds well, get shit on. <laughs> And actually, the intro theme kind of reminds me of uh, Colonel Bogey's march that they that they whistle in that movie. Oh yeah, but that is no, I, similar. I, I never really had. I, it might have been that the only time I saw it, I was at a friend's house, and I was just deathly allergic of uh, of some cats. Hmm. Well, let me let me set let me set it up for you. That has five incredibly disparate people. The movie is all about them kind of learning to accept and or you know relate to each other, mm-hmm. and. That wouldn't happen unless you had an external force pushing them together. Now, you can make the argument in Recess that the external force is the incredibly structured society of the playground. Like, ridiculously so. Oh, they have a caste system. They do! (laughs) Like, complete with tribesmen in the Far East. And then a king. Yeah, and, <laughs> and they have. He has like a palanquin that people towed him around on. They have a constitution and laws like the rules. Oh no my one, god, they do have the rules. It's great. Nobody wants to upset the order of things, but that's the thing, Ben. This show takes on that sort of serious, higher-minded ideals, uh, and, and the characters are all way more mature than they should be. But I think it is probably the truest thing about fourth graders is that they don't really pay a lot of attention to who they're friends with. <laughs> It's just whoever they were sitting near. I guess, maybe you're right. I think you made a really good point uh, about how it, it reminded you of uh, how it kind of reminded you of the of of prison, uh, like a prison system, like the Great like, Escape. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not even just a Great Escape, but more like a, just an us versus them dynamic. That you also yeah. get a lot of shades of the military in this. Uh huh. Especially like in the in the cafeteria when someone's like making an announcement. Yeah, yeah. Like With cadet. The drum rolls and stuff like that oh drum rolls all over the place it's 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 totally like that yeah it, and so that is what bands them together um but it you yeah yeah it's exactly like the beginning of a full metal jacket <laughs> um, when vince starts cracking jokes and he and gets told that he can fuck the drill sergeant's sister and get punched in the stomach and it's i'd great. like to i'd like to focus in on the characters so um because cause yeah, you brought let's, up let's do... uh, uh, Teen Titans, and I actually thought that the the relationship between TJ and Principal Prickly is sort of like the one between Robin and Slade. <laughs> oh, Zane, I can't wait for you to back that up. Because they have facts. a lot in common, and Prickly keeps trying to like turn him to the dark side. <laughs> it's so good. I love Principal Prickly. <laughs> <laughs> he's so conniving he's like he spends all his time trying to get those damn kids <laughs> yeah he's an old he's a redneck with a shotgun waiting to happen <laughs> but well tell us tell tell us about uh tj we could talk about prickly in a minute once we get past the kids I think. right so tj represents the uh leader of the americas george washington in his <laughs> fight to cast off british oppression the, uh, represented by stodgy old white guys what are we doing <laughs> What's going on, Zane? How do you like it when I just sort of add things? <laughs> it's confusing. I don't know. I don't know where I'm being pulled, but I know that it's personal. Um, yeah, but uh, TJ is just the de facto leader. He's very charismatic. He gets along with everyone, and it bothers him when he doesn't. 
and he mm, is the f- I saw that episode as well. And he is the first to when he sees an injustice demand that it be righted. Yeah, I, I it, Mikey has this at one point Mikey like sums up each of their functions in society. Oh, really? Yeah, like he's the one who believes in justice and he's like, "Hey, <laughs> right is right" or something like that and just he's like Batman. He's bit he's pretty much Batman. Um what's really cool about every kid here is that their their function is sort of predetermined but in the case of tj and spinelli like you kind of can't see what they're gonna be when they grow up Mm -hmm. he's 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 like the odd man out in that well Um, we saw we we saw with uh, arnold you referenced hey arnold and um Oh, the show, there's the Arnold show has some similarities. But where Zane, there can... is Arnold DNA all over this playground. Oh. <laughs> you, you can absolutely see who Arnold will be when he grows up. But yeah, with TJ, it's like, these are the skills he has now, but what do they translate into? Which is why I think he's going to become a principal. He has to. That That is certainly where the narrative is leading him insofar as Principal Prickly has these weird, weird childlike fascinations with TJ. <laughs> He almost kind of like a stalker, actually. I've got to shape the boy. <laughs> he doesn't listen, Finster. I'm telling you, that's it's just Slade and Robin. <laughs> that's such a weird comparison to make. There's like poor, too many... poor TJ. <laughs> There's too many variables there that don't make any sense. He needs a strong father figure <laughs> with a mask. <laughs> you can't say it's like... Like, I know that we like to draw parallels between different shows, but you can't just... There's... <laughs> Prickly never threatened to kill him. Like, <laughs> Listener, you be the judge. Uh, I know what I saw. But uh, T- TJ's kind of uh, like he 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 can he takes the role of leader, and he kind of doesn't have a place in the world in the same way that Gus or Vince or Gretchen has. Yeah, once like he, he's just sort of a classic shit stirrer. Once he's out of school, he's he's going to be completely aimless. You had mentioned that he sort of he sort of epitomizes the archetypical American. Yeah, at least in that age, like he reminded me very strongly of Ferris Bueller. He's a real bootstrapper. He's, what does that mean? He's looking for loopholes. He's trying to get on the. He's trying. He's to... trying to game the system. Yeah, and it doesn't really matter to what ends. He just likes this idea of a system being gamed. Yeah, like he could be a career politician. It'd be pretty <laughs> easy. But uh. I could I could totally see him just turning into a weed smoking bass player come high school. <laughs> and what's weird is that he doesn't actually have that much personality beyond that he's just like this weird outlier in playground society. Like he doesn't really he doesn't really fit anywhere, it seems like. Not yeah. in the same way that everybody else does. He he thrives on this conflict. Like he needs to resolve it, but without it he he is kind of directionless. Um TJ is the most interesting character to watch even if he's not so easy to sum up in a couple of words um but the others i don't know so they they're either poorly fleshed out or they're just not interesting so spinelli um you know she's this scrappy girl who who constantly gets into fights and like you were saying doesn't really make sense in her group of friends right yeah we by the way whenever you hear one of us say like we were saying we had so many audio issues that um (laughs) there has been a a significant portion of this episode that has been done off off screen so uh, (laughs) yes just 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 be aware that it's it we're leaving some of it in the gutter 
And on the chance that any of the things we actually mentioned are what caused the audio issues, we'll just try to only refer to it in the vaguest terms. Yeah. Although um, if, if if you didn't hear the part of the uh, if you didn't hear us talking about that one episode where um, TJ becomes uh, Citizen Kane, I feel bad for you. <laughs> that was that was truly that was truly that was a masterpiece, epic, an epic <laughs> for the likes of Chaucer. Yeah. But um, um, so Spinelli is voiced by pa- Pamela Adlin, who's the voice of Bobby Hill. Um, and we made a nice joke the last time we brought that up, but you're not going to get it. Too bad. Was was that just me saying "dang it, Bobby"? <laughs> that was it. <laughs> That's, That's not always a joke. It. <laughs> um, but um, she's the muscle of the group, which is nice because she's a woman. But uh, the, uh, she is the one that makes me wonder the most about why the six are narratively friends because it doesn't seem like she should get along with Mikey, Gretchen, or Gus. Mm-hmm. Like I could very easily see this playing into some sort of. Um, uh, th- there probably should have been an episode somewhere about like a, a Marvel style civil war breaking out between the two clans, like the cool <laughs> kids and the uncool kids, like they did in the Weekenders that one time. Right. Um, Believe yeah, you and... me, audience, we talked for ten minutes about Marvel Civil War. <laughs> well, first you said Civil War, and I got confused. <laughs> All right, Zane, Zane, we are now making jokes about us making jokes about us making jokes. All right. So... Um, but the the main thing about spinelli in comparison to say vince or gretchen is um you know her character doesn't make sense as one of the classic archetypes of this sort of childhood drama but she is more fun to watch yeah yeah i mean whereas whereas vince and gretchen really aren't even though their characters make more sense and are more consistent that's probably because society has a place for vince and gretchen Mm -hmm. and it doesn't really have a place for spinelli um, yeah, that that's a good point. I think that holds true with uh, Mikey and Gus as well. I don't know about Mikey. They're, they're different, so they're a bit more interesting than oh, your standard sure. fare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although there's some really interesting, like, nature versus nurture on the whole being what my dad wants me to be stuff with Gus going on. Um, <laughs> I think I think Gus's relationship with his dad is... Um, <laughs> I, I don't know I, what it is, but I like it. <laughs> it's interesting, you know, it... It's just cool to see this character who has these ideals that are so far from what he actually is. Well, before we get into that, let's talk about Vince. Yeah, yeah, Vince. Uh, Stereotypical black best friend. Yep. As you said, typecasted pretty hard. (laughs) Uh, I would love love to see an episode of him being in the middle school and being forced by peer presser to give Gus a wedgie. (laughs) Because that's, of course, what would happen. Right, um, but in, in the I don't know if we this... recorded this part, but you were mentioning the Breakfast Club and how, you know, a big thing in that movie was the idea like we're all forced together by this adversity, by this outside force oppressing us. But you know, once we're back in the normal day to day, are are any of us going to care about each other? Yeah, exactly. Uh, which is probably my favorite part of that movie because it's the one time that they look directly at the camera and are like, "This isn't real life. Don't get confused." <laughs> <laughs> fucking 80s um, man <laughs> like <laughs> don't you um yeah and he's voiced by ricky deshaun collins who is the voice of tucker foley from danny phantom and i went on this again us referencing ourselves um i went on this tangent a little bit earlier but he's very closely cleaves to uh the role of cyborg in teen titans in that mm-hmm. whenever the episode focuses on him because the episodes all focus on one of the characters at some point or another but when it focuses on uh 
when it focuses on like Spinelli, it's all about her embracing a side of her personality that is not so tomboyish and her having to relate that cognitive dissonance. When mm. there's an episode about Gus, it's all about him prevailing courageously in the face of his innate fears. When an episode is about Vince, it's about him becoming a gourmet chef in the school cafeteria. <laughs> <laughs> it makes kind of no sense and has nothing to do with his personality. Mm -hmm. But I, I guess that really is going right back into the whole, this is an archetype that society accepts. And as such, there's nowhere for his character to go except in those crazy directions. Right, yeah. It, it, just just like Cyborg. Like, yeah. energetic guy, doesn't dwell on the past. Mm, okay, let's throw him into the past. He's going to be a barbarian. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, um, moving on. There Gretchen, is Gretchen, same way. Um, in the same way, they, she has a place in society. Um, and so her plot arcs revolve around... Um, either being the smartest or uh-oh not being the smartest um <laughs> yeah or yeah, or it... finding this weird hobby i'm thinking of the yo-yos or i think there was a science experiment one i love um, the yo-yo one you know i'm i'm pretty pretty good yo smith myself yeah yeah i can a i yo -yo can i've been i've been known to stroll a dog along and uh rock around the world tonight yeah <laughs> it's crazy how these the, the names of these tricks have just been like transmuted by society trying to make them simpler in, in what way what? <laughs> rock around the world tonight that's what it's called that's mm -hmm. i don't know what happened here let the sleeping uh, dogs lie is actually it's a combination of the two tricks i see i see um but gretchen doesn't talk much about the etymology of yo-yo trick names she's just although uh, she could if she felt like it, if she had, yep. you know, the appropriate thesaurus, she's one of those mm -hmm. characters that is reminds me very strongly of an archetype um, in 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 the playground, uh, namely the one who thinks they're smarter than everyone else. Um, she, it's kind of nice that she doesn't seem all that like haughty about it. Yeah, but that's yeah. really where she's the interest ends her, for me. She's not lording her brains over people. You know, you you often see this character in. Um... You know, oh, Lloyd Minky? in space. Wait, or um, there was that. There's that one in in this show who's like the opposite of Gretchen, mm -hmm. or like the the mirror mirror version, and he's like that short kid with the glasses. It's like uh, oh, Minky, oh, uh, uh, dipshit, Mingus, Mingus. That's right. It wasn't Mingus, but it was something close <laughs> to that. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, he's he's that all over. There's this tendency in these kids' shows to have the brainy person just be super overly brainy and, like, talk down to people and use big words that don't actually mean it. Remember Penny from Chalk Zone? Oof. Um, I, so like, I like Gretchen like, a good like deal the, more than Penny. I like that this show didn't fall into that trap, but at the same time... Um, yeah, it... it I don't, I don't, I don't know that they used her character as far as they could have. Rather than fall into a trap, she just kind of uh, stood where she was placed. Uh -huh. And uh, that's yeah. Not, she was happy where she was. It's not irritating, but it's also not there. You you can't do a lot with it when she's you know she's typecasted and she's happy to be their coach. I, yeah. I would have and, and I would have appreciated an easy. Ex a, I'm sorry. Go ahead. She provides an easy excuse for them to come up with ridiculous plans. Um, that's true. Because she'll say she'll say like, um, 
oh, you know, we could invent something that could do that. Or did you know that the, you know, ancient whoever's also did that? And, and they can go to the next part of the plot that way. She connects the seams. Yeah, no, she's she's more of a plot, plot device. She's sort of a tool that the show uses to enact the absurd plans that want to take place on this 20-minute timescale in Recess. So right. <laughs> if they need to build a structure of some sort or a device, it's like you remember in um, you remember how in uh, this is completely random. I don't know why this is striking my memory like this, but you remember in the Sandlot when they were trying to figure out a way to get their ball back from the Beast. Yeah, yeah. And he uses oh, and all the of his erector set, set pieces. Yeah, yeah. That was so cool. <laughs> and like they could only do that once because they they had the built-in tech already done. But mm-hmm. she can make sandlot plots happen on the on the turn of a dime, so <laughs> I think that's her big folk. That's her big point here. Right, she's just not kind of not a person other than that. Mm-hmm. Um, Mikey is our next uh, our next character. Gentle he's, giant. Yep, yeah, as you said, he's the standard big warm guy archetype. Um, he tends mm-hmm. to be more passive about the plot. And he's one yeah, of those characters. Yeah, he's just hanging out. He's one of those characters that doesn't make sense unless you're forty and have gone through two divorces already. Um, so <laughs> it's it's weird that he's eight years old and and is like reciting Deepak Chopra and and the like. But uh, <laughs> and and that's why I think he's the more one of the more fun characters to listen to because he gets some really nuts dialogue down the line. He gets... <laughs> he he's very peaceful. Until he gets anxious and um and and you like see him transmit his fears to everyone else, um, in a way he, that suggests to me that he has no filter and they keep him around for some reason. Oh, like River Tam. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't remember if be, he ever kung fu he, fought he a bunch of like else. alien mur- murderers, but that would have been pretty sweet. I feel like he could if he wanted to. If if he if he like styled under the uh, under the mantle of Jack Black and Kung Fu Panda, perhaps <laughs> right. Skadoosh. Skadoosh. I was so upset that Skadoosh wasn't actually said during the movie. Wait, it wasn't. That's why I bought the tickets, Ain'. I never saw it. Also, right, well, you bought a ticket to Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> Did you not? I. <laughs> I saw it with what? uh. I went and saw it with uh. If if she happens to still listen to this podcast, which I doubt, uh, with Devin Johnson. She, uh, Kung Fu Panda. Yeah, she she uh came out wrote in into He Man eight to our He Man episode. Really, two thousand and eight. It's more like two thousand. All right. Um. Okay. Want to get keep going? Sure. All right. So last main character, I guess, is Gus. Mm. Who's yeah. kind of weird. Like, I mean, they're all kind of weird, but this is weird within the context of the show. Because even he's, though he's different, he's, he doesn't seem to have a, he he's, he, in addition to, I don't know, he, I don't. He's not a one sentence character. Yeah. Um, he, he's, he, he really respects his dad, who's like a general. So he's this big military buff, but he personally is like small and timid and he's the new kid. And, you know, he's so flattered by these kids taking an interest in, in him, in being his friend um, you know, he's very loyal and sticks to them. And I, I really like Gus. I like, how, like, I like how he is the perennial obvi- underdog. He, he's so obviously flawed. 
you know? Uh-huh. Like, everybody yeah. else, TJ has, like, you know, creativity and leadership. Spinelli mm-hmm. has guts and spirit. Gus doesn't really have anything. Mm-hmm. He's just sort of there. Like, he, it almost seems like he's kind of leeching off of his friends, as opposed to, like, co- actively contributing. Yeah, he he's... Remember Squid from um, Rocket Power? <laughs> of course I remember Squid. He was the most absurd it's... character on a show full of nothing but absurd characters it's it's sort of a similar idea where he's not great right now but you can tell he's just taking everything in and learning yeah and and there's Um, a there i love there's something i like about that i love one episode where like he was afraid of getting beat up and he talked to his dad and his dad's like let me tell you a little story about a country called belgium <laughs> and uh, you I know, was being rare. I was killing Germany. bears for money. I made twenty five rubles a day. Zane da- Gus's dad is the same as Louis Anderson's dad. I know, I know. But he's like, so yeah. Uh, everybody, everybody caved and appeased Germany except for Belgium. Belgium stood up and and said, "No, you can't do anything." <laughs> oh, yeah. And slowed the Germans down enough for them to win the war. And he's like, "Wow, I can't. Uh, you know, I'm going to be just like Belgium and win." And he's like, "Oh." Belgium got destroyed, <laughs> man. <laughs> and that's just the end of the scene. The nail that sticks up, man. Uh, another point, just because we happen to be on Gus's dad, and I don't think we'll have the ability Gus's to go back. Gus's dad is the best bit character. So I, lo- I love his commitment to his bit. <laughs> it's it's yes. so beautiful. Like Everything must be expressed in military terms. I know, terms. it's so good. He's like, a Simps- he's like a Simpsons character. He is. He's like Bumble Me Man. Um, he, I mean, he is exactly like Louis Anderson's dad. Like he call he he mm-hmm. refers to them as platoons. He calls him private. It's so good. Yeah. At one point, he's uh, he, Gus runs away from home because he thinks that Gus because Gus thinks that uh, they're gonna be moving again. Um, and he camps out in the playground in the jungle gym, like at Shea Gus, and he has one of those Hugh Hefner chest pillows. It's, it's a pretty great episode <laughs> all around. And at the end Why? of the episode, uh, Gus's dad comes in and is like. We had you. We were worried, Private. I had you listed missing in action. <laughs> you thought he was dead. <laughs> How far do you want to take that? Uh, take that. Uh, anyway. And this is the thing. Like, even though recess is considered this uh, uh, time of the day when kids can just be wild and nothing matters, nothing standardized, no testing. All of the adults treat it and the kids very seriously. They treat them like other adults. So. I kind of want to talk about the adults in a second, uh, but I think a nice segue is maybe talking about King Bob. Uh huh. So King Bob, voiced by Torin Caudill, who is the voice of Arnold from the first season of Hey Arnold, and you can sort of hear Law it. Law of the land. Yeah, his he's real interesting because <laughs> <laughs> I think the the episode that best expresses him is Pharaoh Bob. Yes. When he suddenly realizes that he's in sixth grade and that nobody remembers anyone from before him. Mm-hmm. Like all of the great playground leaders of the past generations <laughs> are entirely forgotten. And he's like so many monologues like the great dodgeball war. Don't you remember how King Justin like <laughs> created a treatise between and it goes on and on. And just every time we see him, it's expressing this weird hierarchy lore that we were talking about earlier with like the Constitution and shit. Yeah, and it he just drives that like they're treating the playground like something it's not, like something more serious than it is. He just like taxes it to its breaking point, <laughs> which I think is so funny. Uh, yeah, um, and he's sort of like one of the adults in that way because all the adults, as you said, are incredibly petty. 
well, well, following the idea of the school as like this prison system, um, he's mm. kind of like a ringleader of one of the prison gangs. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like, like he's the... keeping tabs on everything, and the, and you know the normal, you know, the average schlub doesn't know this or that. He's just like do that. He's head of the Brotherhood, but he's got like a brother-in-law that was that's like the janitor or something. So he's got an yes. in. Um, and also, uh, give in the prison theme, we we have a snitch. Oh yeah, Randall. <laughs> Randall, is. who's who's basically just Mo Sislak as a kid. Like, oh my god, him. yeah, that face. He is, he is melty. He, I, I love his like, like again, every Catch character phrase. has such a commitment to their bit. You know. <laughs> You can't just you love- have that hunch and, you know, be a snitch and have a whiny voice and rat-like features. You also have to be menacingly wringing your hands as your, like, oh, standstill animation. He's constantly mincing. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, and, like, the weirdest catchphrase of, like, moist. Oh, God. <laughs> That's so oh, gross. This, this, this news is so moist. Oh, God, dude. <laughs> Uh, I wanted to talk about it in a, uh, in a in a music and sound, but I guess we can talk about it now. I guess it's more of a tone thing, but you mm-hmm. know how Kim Possible had this weird jive to it, yeah, like where they'd be saying "booyah" and "faux shizzle." And, I mean, Dragon aside, but they also had yeah, they beepers. Had, they had their own vernacular. Yeah, a little bit. It makes more sense here because it's not our world very clearly. Like right. Kim Possible's sort of our world, you know. I mean, at least the parts that take place in high school look like a high school. Mm-hmm. Parts that take place in recess in the playground look like a prison. So, like, it's clearly not our world. And so all yeah. the jive is, it, it it amplifies that sense of non-realism. Whereas in this Kim Possible, why... <laughs> it was really jarring because it was a departure from the norm. Right. This is why the kids all talk like, uh, you know, adults who have seen some shit, man. <laughs> like... They've yeah. played it up in TJ their heads. TJ is constantly talking about tender, a.k.a. legal tender, from when he was, you know, um, embezzling money as a banker. Yeah. Um, it's, all, it's all about things oh, it's whomping. So good. Yeah, the, like the dialogue and the, the phrasing in this show are so, they're such a treat. Oh, God, moist, though. Like, I can't. It's, it's, too, it's too much. Yeah. And, and. That's a good point. Like we we mentioned, you know, some of the main characters aren't that interesting or aren't very well fleshed out. But the show itself, the dialogue and and all of that moves it forward in a very compelling way. Like I watched quite a few episodes of this, and it it kept fresh. It did because it was constantly building on a world that we were familiar with, but we knew was different. Well, it, it's like I said, like nothing in the show is impossible. It's just really weird, and everyone has this skewed perspective of how the world works. So. I mean, up to a point, it is still Disney, so you still have to right. re- love your friends, right? But you, but you get to those uh, same messages in ways that you just could not expect because they're unrealistic, they're improbable. Oh yeah, like the one where TJ is principal for a day. That Ben, that plays right into my Robin Slade theory. <laughs> I love, I love, I love that episode so much because it has more like principal pricklies per meter than any other episode. <laughs> Can we talk about Principal Prickly? And you can throw as much Slade Robin Wincest in there as you want. It's so prevalent. <laughs> it is. This character is so much fun. Cause yeah. He's like such a god example, like a god tier example of 
the obstructive, malicious white guy in a position of authority. <laughs> like I was talking about how TJ kind of reminded me of Ferris Bueller, and this just right. this just makes that comparison even stronger. Yeah, this is your Ben Stein. Yeah, um, or uh, or or any white guy in Cousin Skeeter. Yes. And oh, oh cousin. Skeeter. Oh, cousin Skeeter, you taught us so you, much. <laughs> you would have fit into this show so well. Ah! <laughs> I'm a kindergartner. I'm two kindergartners. What? <laughs> <laughs> you sure are you okay <laughs> i'm a digger now give me that shovel i'll show you what it's all about we're gonna dig a tunnel to china he probably could have showed up in this shovel. everyone would have paid him as much mind as he didn't deserve and um uh, but prickly yeah so what i like is that he's clearly supposed to be the antagonist but he's not without his like childlike sense of amusement uh-huh and the show goes to very solid lengths to draw comparisons between him and TJ. Like, yes. there's episodes where he's left a treasure map for TJ and his friends to follow. He, like, cackles with glee whenever TJ sticks him one. It's like... This, this is a creepy enough man that he must be really good at the actual function of his job, except he really doesn't seem like he is. He's got ins, like, with very <laughs> powerful people. Is that what you think happened? I know it's what happened, because the episode where he... Like, leaves the treasure map from when he was at 3rd Street, so he's been living here his whole life. Fine. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the episode, after TJ finds the treasure, he, like, looks outside of his window, out through those blinders again, squints his eyes, closes the blinds, calls someone up on the phone, and he's like, get me, get me, uh... He, he like, says, hello, operator, get me um, Chief Justice uh, Johnson or something like that. Yeah. And then he says, like, hey, John... It's me, Petey. They found it. <laughs> so, okay, he's got a direct line to the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. He's on first name basis. Like, he's just got ins with some very powerful higher ups. And and that's the thing. Um, like, like, uh, I love it. I love it. You you mentioned, like, he never left the school, really. Um, and this this show compresses space and time in a way. You know, because you, you can imagine this the recess playground can't possibly be that big, but it's expanded so much within any given episode. You know, you, you can see the different parts and how it all fits in there. I don't know, but it, they do an extension of time and a compression of space or the other way around that. That's really interesting to me. It is very interesting. And it goes back a little bit to when we were talking about rocket power, like how this is how people look through the lens of uh, this child who doesn't understand anything better. Like, Raymundo is not a cool adult, but that's just how Rocket Boy sees him. Right, right. And it's like, the playground is not this crazy and structured, but that's how every every kid thinks that, like, people are, like, connivingly plotting against them. And that's including the adults. And that's exactly what happens here. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, we have Mrs. Finster. The Finst. Yep. Warden of the jail, or I guess just like the chief, like enforcer guard. I don't know the she... the guy who beats up Biggs in uh or or Boggs in um in uh Shawshank Redemption. That guy. Yeah, yeah. So she's like the enforcer. Um, the Stetweiler fellow's about to have himself a little accident. She's so menacing. Yeah. Oh my god, she has the same voice. Is she the same voice actor as that guy from uh, Men in Black who liked the sugar water? 
Oh, oh, God, that guy. It sounds exactly like him. <laughs> what a weird connection, Ben. It's, think about it, though. I, I can't. Oh, it's, um, it sounds exactly like him. Um, yeah, she's, she's, like, way more evil than Prickly. Yeah, she is good at it, I think, is the difference. Um, he's got that childlike sense. He, he's got that, like, Aku sort of power fantasy, and yeah. she is, is much more focused and good at it. Right, yeah. She she's more stereotypically a villain. He's more like a Shylock, like we can see his side of things villain. And and it's interesting, like, this is a stereotype you don't really see in the media that much, but it's it seems absolutely true. Everyone has that one elementary school like guard or lunch lady or something who's just like fifty packs a day, yep. just hates kids but is working with them for some reason. Uh, again, men in black. Right. That's like, the. That's this is actually something that continually happens. So we had it, it. It happened. We didn't have it. It happened in Men in Black, where Jay's like, "Nah, I remember. There was no way that, that my third grade mm-hmm. teacher. There was no way that she came from Earth or something like that." Yeah. And we also had it in. Um, uh, I can only think Jack Spicer, Dragon of Metal. What was that again? Shaolin Showdown. Shaolin Showdown. Shaolin Showdown. Which, by the way, a number of my friends in in the program know exactly what Shaolin Showdown is. <laughs> it's great but we had that there as well when jack assembles the most evil people from history and one of them lo and behold fourth grade teacher makes him stand in the corner that's right like so this is this is a very prevalent thing this is like a very relatable character in in one sense of growing up and which it, which makes principal prickly even stranger because you would more because, likely like, see him as a principal Skinner if you were truly under his right. thumb in this prison right. guard sort of society. You wouldn't think to him of him to have this uh, this jovial like mindedness with uh, with TJ if he was truly expressed through the children's eyes. So I, I think he maybe maybe we're giving this 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 show a little too much. No, you might be right. The the difference a lot of the time between the the kids and the adults in this show is like. Remember how in Hey Arnold, I came up with the idea that the kids developed their society because adults were bad at theirs? Mm, yeah. Um, it's similar here. The adults are fine at keeping things running, but they don't know how to have a good time. They keep they, they at least keep the buses on time. Yeah, yeah. But the, but the kids provide, you know, structure and purpose to their recreational activities. And Prickly is like this one guy who has been beaten by the system enough that he, you know, he, is part of it yeah but he's, you can he's still empathizing with the enemy out. yeah yeah um which which i really like because it's kind of like a jack black movie <laughs> <laughs> in what way <laughs> you know you got that stodgy old guy and he just needs to be reminded how to have a good time and oh man yeah or like an old if, boy if, if you were to have or not old a boy movie, a school a live action movie Jeez. of recess where the kids are played by adults TJ would absolutely be Jack Black. Uh, are you saying that in part because he's a little bit overweight? I, I need to. I need to tell this to everybody. Um, this this is my recess memory, and we have. I have to say this before we get farther into the show. Um, at one point, I came home from school. Uh, I was in middle school or something. David was already home. Our older brother. He was upstairs. He was watching recess. I and the it was angled with the door in such a way that I saw him laughing at the TV, but I didn't see what he was laughing about. And I come in and I'm like, "What are you laughing about?" And he can't tell me because he's laughing so hard. I look over. It's just an image of TJ standing there, like saying something. 
And <laughs> it turns out the reason that David was laughing so hard was because he thought it was very funny how pudgy TJ was. <laughs> Which is such a weird thing. <laughs> it's just like such a weird thing for him to focus on. And I'm like, David, there's already a character in this whose function is to be like chunky. And he's like, oh, but he's so he's got such a paunch. <laughs> okay, David. Whatever you say. Mm. Anyway. Um Yeah. So those are the characters. Uh since you brought up Hey Arnold, I thought I might as well say that Mrs. Grotke, um, their basic home, I guess, homeroom teacher. Um, mm-hmm. She is pretty much Mr. Simmons. Um, yep. In, in Hey Arnold, although probably also in real life a little bit. She's like this huge <laughs> hippie. She has very standard, like, yeah, fight the power kind of kind of dialogue. I'm wondering mm-hmm. if she's. I got the sense that she was purposefully being played over the top, like in a, in an effort to make us seem like she's a weirdo. You know, I mean, I feel like everyone in the show was played over the top. Not the, um, not the, her, not the main six. She, they seem very was, reasonable. She was written over the top. I, I, I guess. But everybody who's an adult is made to seem unreasonable. It's not like, you know, the inmates are right and the jailers are wrong. You know, mm-hmm. it's the kids are right and the adults are wrong. Is is the real kind of, I guess, ethos that they're operating under. Because even someone who's like way more rebellious than than the kids are, is is viewed unkindly in the and this, in the lens. This plays right into my lens of the show. theory, which might have gotten you know accidentally destroyed. Mm. That Ms. Grotke represents France, and the kids <laughs> are a young America. <laughs> Moving on. Yep, yep. Boston chocolate milk party. What else we got? That sounded like a terrible website. Um... <laughs> Looking it up. Great. <laughs> All right. So what I want to talk about, I want to talk about the tone and genre. I think... I feel like we did quite a bit already. We did. I wanted to say a few things. Um, okay. I wanted to discuss where you think the core of the comedy comes from, because we haven't stated it yet. This is a very funny show. It has a great sense of comedic timing and throwaway jokes. I don't know where the core of the comedy comes from. Is it just great writing, or is there like a base level of this kind of quirking your brain in such a way because of the way that I think it's like the complete absurd stratification of playground culture that makes mm-hmm. it really funny. Uh, I think the writing is definitely part of it. I think the degree to which the kids have made this society and refuse to like, like when possible, they will find a loophole in the rules rather than just over like overthrow the rules what's a really interesting thing is that sometimes even within the bounds of the recess society where you know everyone's got their purpose everyone has their thing a lot of those things don't have a function other than a thing that you would see in a recess setting in a playground Uh setting so yes you have um you have like the diggers and like okay conceivably they could Sandbox. be for for demolitions or whatever but then you also have swinger girl and that's not a that's not a function in even playground society well, she's a she's a pilot yeah i know that's like the idea but like if you break it down to its most base materials if you if you strip away any sort of analogy to the real world from this it makes no sense yeah the the absurdity is definitely a place for humor because even if what they're doing isn't that interesting like 
you have a girl who wears pilot like old timey pilot garb yeah. and is known only as swinger girl. Like and everyone, that's and everyone funny. respects her so much. <laughs> They're like, yeah, guys, like she can go higher than anybody. Yeah, like she's she's put in the she's put in the legwork. Look at a uh, look at how she, good she is at it. It's like upside down girl. You 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 can't stay upside down that long. No, can you? Not not at those um, heights. <laughs> You'd get so a nosebleed think- or something. I think the humor comes from that absurdity and the dialogue. I don't think humor is necessarily the show's main function. I think a lot of the times what it's trying to do is build up to that, yeah, fight the power moment, right? Right. Like after TJ and company have gotten all the people in the playground together and and have you know unified them for one goal, and you're like, yes, collective action. I can get behind this. Yeah, and, and I guess that may, might be the, the, the other source of humor in the show, which is that the deep playground lore, which is, like, reminiscent of Gerald from Hey Arnold. because So there's some uh-huh. there's some more Hey Arnold DNA, you know, shooting off around the jungle gym. And It's, it's like playing Dark Souls. You just get these tidbits of lore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Guru Kid. A- everything about the kindergartners is a goldmine waiting to be, waiting to be <laughs> you know, explored. Um, it's great. And the emotional investment of every interaction far outstrips the actual importance of the events. Absolutely. Like, they treat everything with, like, lethal intent and, <laughs> and like, importance. And it's incredible how minor the things are. Yeah, in the way that kids overinflate the importance of their own interactions. Sure. Uh, in, the, yeah. in, the, in the case that everybody follows the playground constitution, and you don't question the natural order of things or the playground constitution and the reason for that is mm, not really explained uh the, the whole the whole society of the ashleys makes no sense but no one like bats an eye because like well that's just that's that's an institution as old as time itself i i am not here to make waves <laughs> the kindergartners look like some kooky tribesmen devoid of language like not even younger kids but like an entirely different species, almost. Yeah, yeah, monsters in the literal sense. Yeah, G- King Bob is is like, you know, is like a a tragic historical documentary waiting to happen. The list <laughs> goes on and on. Mm-hmm. So it, it's the, it's that breakdown of importance and like emotional investment that I think is really good. Definitely. Um. Um. So let's see here. Do you have anything else in, in tone? No, I think we hit quite a few disparate things. It's hard to remember just because of how many edit issues we had. Uh, there, Yeah, I, I, I that is a problem, and we can't blame ourselves for it, but it must be taken into account. There's, yeah. there's a couple things that I wanted to point out, which is that, um, you know, there's some shows that can do a lot of genres really well. Like, we were talking about how in Megas XLR, it basically took genres... And then just knocked them down like bowling pins. It's like, this is the joke we want to make. We'll put ourselves in this genre and then yank ourselves right the hell out of it. Right, right. This show does heist really, really well and nothing else. <laughs> it uh, has heist, such heist, focus. Heist, uh, prison, escape, military uh, command. It does a little bit of plays, military command. I'll give you that. It plays up these like 50s action genre films. The uh the heist music the like the do de do do like that thing is always is playing near on like a probably a one to one basis. See, I don't know. Uh, I just remember like 
I felt like when the plan was starting to take action in any given episode, there's this, you know, energetic bass line with a trumpet melody, and mm. I thought that it was, like, jazzy and military. Like, the show moves forward with a military drum, and I felt that much more strongly than the heist idea. There are definitely heist plot lines, though, I will give you that. And I'll give you that there is, like, a military connection in here. I think it can be both. Like, prison mm-hmm. is sort of this perfect marriage of those two, so you, you, it's, it's, not, it's not irrelevant. That, that we're seeing right. both of those there. Um, one more thing from tone and genre is that uh, is the pacing, which is um, really really funny. How quickly it evolves from regular playground shenanigans to whatever silly thing they're parodying. Mm-hmm. Like in one episode, Vince bets somebody that he can make better food than the lunch ladies, and in three minutes, it's evolved to the point where he's hosting his own restaurant, Shay Vince, <laughs> <laughs> complete with TJ acting as a garçon. Like taking taking Principal Prickly's coat and <laughs> Prickly's like yeah, three yeah. tables by the three seats by the windows or something like that. He's like ooh, all full up and like covertly slides comics underneath like the little banister and he's like oh right this way. Yeah. <laughs> and so when they silly. and when they jump in when they jump into genres they are buying into the conventions of those genres with Megas XLR it's like borrow it use it dispose of yeah. it yeah. Uh, they're really they're using every part of the genre when they when they jump into one yeah totally and and they and they milk it for all it's worth up until the end of the episode when it becomes disney again but like Mm -hmm. like you know this incredible french stereotype comes away from the teacher's lounge and tries to beg principal prickly to come back and then takes vince out as his apprentice vincenzo just goes on yeah. and on. The the Monstickers episode, they're like talking about different monetary standards. Like, yeah, man, you got to switch from Monstickers to these like alien cars. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, we're switching from gold to paper? Okay. <laughs> I, I guess I guess anyone who invested too heavily in gold is is up shit creek. Yeah. Um yeah. Anyway, I thought I thought that was a really high point of it. Um Definitely. The which I wanted to, it's got some, uh, it's got some synergy with the pacing, um, specifically the pacing of the character models, which they all move na- like fairly, they they plot along pretty respectfully. They they walk at a regular pace. Whenever they have to do something very quickly, it seems like they start they immediately like go double time. Have you ever noticed this? Mm-hmm. I did. Like if they have I, to I disperse, them cutting distance more than running. If I mean they'll like they'll run, but it'll be at a it'll be at a normal pace. It'll just be like jogging. But then Finster's like, "Hey, what are you kids doing in the cafeteria?" And then they will all run away at double time. Hmm. Like with a nice little no, I... with a nice little like chorus of ah, you know, like a bunch of shy guys just just running out of the room. I'm having trouble picturing it in my head. Um, it's uh, it, it happens a few times. Um, whenever they have to go somebody somewhere very quickly, sometimes it's got like that arpeggio on a on like a marimba to follow it up, like and they'll they'll just all like not quickly walk away, but walk away at a an, an increased speed. Yeah, no, I can I can picture it, like, it in lends my head, it some but urgency. I, I can't I can't place if it's actually something that happens in the show or something that doesn't. It happens. Um, um it happens pretty occasionally. I wouldn't have mind seeing it more, but uh. The thing that I noticed uh, was actually mostly just the difference between the characters and the backgrounds, because the backgrounds are very school set. The school centered backgrounds they're rigid, they're blocky, um, which makes the characters who are more rounded they stand out more. They they um, you know they interact with the with the um, different parts of the playground 
but when they're up close, they get more detail, like the backgrounds do. But at a distance, it's all squares and rectangles. Yeah, that's interesting, because um, the thing that I noticed about the characters is that their color palettes very closely match the color palette of the environments. So it's it's like there wasn't that much of a stratification between the character models and the backgrounds in that circumstance. So it's weird that they would choose it for the shapes and not the colors. Like, everything's pretty warm and uniform, you know? I did like the character models. Like, they look great. These are real, they, real they iconic. Were... They weren't soup-esque. They were just the right amount of lumpy. I, I, Except I, for Finster. I, that was... that was Finster's too much. Right. Too far. And Randall Dial was... Randall was, Randall was like the leftovers. <laughs> Rand- like the clay Randall guy. Randall has like... no bones. <laughs> he doesn't need them, man. <laughs> um, He's so moist. Oh, God. It's so weird. <laughs> I think these are really cool, iconic characters, though. Like, so... Uh, an interesting thing is that, like, there's so much in this show that you would think were it created today would be infinitely mimetic, right? Mm-hmm. Like the whole tender thing would be totally be on a t-shirt. Yeah. Like he's just so iconic. Like this is like Ferris Bueller's Day Off was like sold like gangbusters with, with, with that demographic. TJ is that character and he's got his own catchphrase. Forget it. <laughs> Zoomies would have no idea what to do. Right. They could not keep them on the shelves, um, which I think is, it's a little bit of something like, I sometimes bemoan series that get really popular and then kind of overmarket. Not not not, yeah. not sell out, because I don't have any malice toward them for, for making marketing. What are you thinking, like Phineas and Ferb kind of thing? Phineas and Ferb, Adventure Time is somewhat guilty of it. Um, yeah. Not, not even really guilty so much as I get the distinct impression that the people who like it don't like it at a level that I consider kind of, oh, these these people understand what the show is about. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. You know? No true fans. Yeah, um, and it, it runs up against that, like, you know, that fallacy just a little bit. But it, I, I'm not bemoaning them their enjoyment. I just, I find less commonality with the people who like the things that are widely liked in this day and age uh-huh. than I do with people who like the things that were widely liked back then and didn't really right. have that that and, marketing engine behind it. And that's the thing about Recess. It, we're, we're not 100% sure what makes it succeed. I mean, it it is very, like... All the parts that they work with are very well sculpted. Like, these are quality pieces. Everything in this show is very well polished. It's got a lot of polish. Yeah. I, I, remember th- that, I think um, you mentioned that. Um, remember that game on. dev uh, story game for your phone? Yeah, game dev story. And uh, and you can, you know, when you're making your game, you can put points in a different thing. And one option was just polish. And I'm like, why why wouldn't you put all the points into that? <laughs> that's the important part no matter what it is if it's well polished it's gonna hold up <laughs> yeah, that's not necessarily true like i i don't want you know uh a fifth thing that's the same as but i don't want another i want i don't want the fifth version of uh the lawyer shooter objection you know which is a great name for a lawyer shooter but, <laughs> you know I, I, my company my company could never get it off the ground <laughs> This is a little bit too... It was ahead of its time, Zane. Would you say that it was overruled? <laughs> I, I guess, if I wanted to lose friends. The, um, um, what modern show would you say is most similar to Recess? 
I mean, this is so like so many shows because they a lot of shows have sort of a five man band, six man band sort of cast of characters from every demographic, every archetype, and they're all jammed into this. I, you know, it's just the setting. The setting makes this so fresh. It's strong, and there's it's just a little bit it's strong, better it's in every relatable. way. It's 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 so it's different enough that we're excited to follow it through, but it's not so different that we don't get it. It's not afraid to be silly and serious. No, and that's like I mean that's my favorite kind of thing. If, yeah. if, if you can hit that whole emotional spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um. So, let's see here. Do we have anything else? I do. I have a few things. Okay. Um. I've got one more thing in animation and a few things in music. Sure. So, um. You know, I was talking about heist stuff earlier. There's quick scene transitions when, like, the plan is going into action. It'll cut to, you know, Gus and Mikey being the lookouts. Cut to Vince trying to get an ear to the wall to see what's going on in the teacher's lounge. Cut to Mm -hmm. Spinelli, like... And everybody's in communication by, like, walkie-talkie. Yeah, like dollar brand walkie-talkies that they got. Oh, my God, their code names are so good. (laughs) Alpha Bi and Big Mosquito. Copy. Like, what? (laughs) Am I alpha eye? <laughs> but uh, so when when that happens, there's like really quick cuts between all the scenes. And it's to sell this like genre of a heist going down in my mind. And they don't always keep with that pace of scene transition when they're talking over like what is going on in the playground and what like problems are arising. It's very slow. They're usually using some playground equipment, so it, it there's no, like, water cooler conversations. But they don't mind taking it nice and slow to talk it out with all of the different cast members, each of which has, like, a unique perspective. Yeah. Even if they are hackneyed in some case, like Gretchen, you know? Yeah, you're you're playing the video game, and you're about to, you know, set off on the next quest, and you get a chance to, you know, you're all sitting around the campfire, you talk to every member of your party, and then... In order go. of the... Uh, of In the order that you want to bone them. Everybody left, knows this. Left to right. <laughs> is that is that how you make your romantic decisions, Zane? <laughs> I, I I I approach I approach my romances there's, in the same way that I approach my electromagnetic vectors. Left hand there, rule. There's just there's just something about that side. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know you ever, you know a girl with like a nice peg leg that just slants a little bit. No. <laughs> <laughs> Just, they probably had like five of her in this show, though. Just slant. Oh, peg leg girl, dude! Every like absurd character in a regular show. A pirate kid. Yeah. I, I was gonna say the pirate guy from Family Guy fits right in here. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you got bit characters. Bit characters find their home at Third Street School. <laughs> like, there's Guru Kid. There's that there's that one kid who like yeah I got the shit you need right here he's wearing a trench coat and he's got that, yeah that, hustler that real kid hustler kid oh I forgot <laughs> his why name. do they have that it's so good and you got like that cropped haircut like you want to trust him but it's a little bit too long and greasy to be totally sure he's on the up and up yeah this is totally a prison I'm telling you <laughs> so good no he's red he's a, he's a man who knows how to find things yeah I guess so um. So, uh, moving into music and sound, there were a lot of memorable themes in here. Like, mm-hmm. you were talking, I was talking about, like, the marimba arpeggio. There's a nice sad oboe. Um, the military theme, that's kind of a redux of the uh, opening theme, is really good. Yeah, that one sticks in my head better than any of the other ones. Mm-hmm. 
And um, I think my favorite is probably the Mission Impossible one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is which is usually accompanied by all of the team, like, you know, crawling underneath a, a, a school table in a manner that's very remnant. Like, that's that's oh, going to tug I, at your heartstrings. I can, I can picture it so clearly. I know. And, and like, TJ, like, looks around, it's like, just does, like, the once-over. It's like, okay, we're clear. The show does set pieces so well. Like, I know. Like, you can picture the inside of the Ashley's clubhouse. You know what the lunchroom looks like. Wait, what was that? Do you know, you know what they call their headquarters in the in that jungle gym? You know what they rename it? What? Oh, so good. It's everything we've talked about so far in one Wait, is this beast. a fort tender? Yeah. <laughs> so good. It's a fort, Zane. It's right past the mess hall. Fort tender. <laughs> tender kills me. Man, if you could imagine somebody like at an office doing that... <laughs> Oh, you get you get Just section like, nine immediately. Oh, uh, dude, there's there's free cookies in the break room. Tender. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to report sexual can, harassment. Can, can you like not do that near me, man? <laughs> uh, it's still better than random. <laughs> Just like, dude, there's cookies in the break room. Moist. <laughs> <laughs> Randall is so weird. <laughs> and and yet and yet infinitely mimetic. Yeah. I think if you had like a meme with just the, a face of Randall with like that like, uh, with like that um, thumb four fingers rubbing like thumb rubbing his four fingers that means like how about some money this way you know that uh-huh. that like little gesture with him sure. saying moist if you had that pop pop up on Facebook we would have no more internet by now <laughs> it's just gone no it's like a virus <laughs> no one would stand for that um yeah. So uh, I wanted to talk about, I wanted to actually just like state a few of the things of dialogue because it is, I don't know, it's it's so well developed for the amount of time that it gets because it's just these like little throwaway dumb jokes. Oh, you mean like um, how the guy who's like Thaddeus T. Third the Fifth, everyone calls him Mr. Fifth? (laughs) Like that little thing? I didn't know that one, but I'm very happy to... I, I like File that it joke. away in my Rolodex. Like his last name is third, and he's the fifth. <laughs> and they don't spend any time on it. No. And that's that's where the best comedic timing comes Mo- from, because they know it was funny, and they know you know it was funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, in that one episode where uh, TJ wants that one kid to like him, Gordy. Yeah. Um, they talk to him in the in the beginning of the episode. He's playing a video game. And they're like, what you got there? And he's like, latest version of Ducks on a Pond. It's a total quack up. Yes, I'm unflappable. And all right, rest of the show now, rest of the episode. <laughs> Moving on. Um, Spinelli at one point creates a sign saying, give me chocolate milk or give me death. And then changes it because like, she, they're like, oh man, you're going to get sent to counseling again. She's like, you're right, better change it. Give me chocolate milk or give me chocolate milk. It's perfect. <laughs> they, they, they'll have no choice <laughs> good save Spinelli it's just uh, and and my last one my, maybe my favorite one is that Mikey at one point says um, poor Nessie trapped in a lock he never made <laughs> in reference that is, yeah. that is Mikey's dialogue all over yeah and he, he says it with a total theatrical like kind of poor deep? Nessie trapped maybe? in a lock he never made um, uh. I I think I, I think what they do in the show, and 
you'll have to correct me if it doesn't seem like this. I think they make the joke first and then assign it to whichever character it would fit the best. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And and I think that only kind of approach works in this sort of group where maybe everyone why, is the joke character. Well, maybe that's why like Vince didn't get a whole lot of memorable lines. Just because he couldn't hold the jokes. There's just nothing funny for him to say that couldn't be more funnily said by somebody else. I think there might be a chicken and egg argument that you can make with that. Like, was he unfunny because he didn't get the jokes or did he not get the jokes because he was unfunny? You know? Right. Um, but in any case, it, it's a, it's a really good way of making a bunch of throwaway jokes. Cause it doesn't matter who says them. It just, the content of the joke is strong and you can put it on the character where it will be, you know, most lucidly expressed. Yeah. You you have your full range of characters here. Yeah. Oh, man. Do you remember the room full of unfavorably characterized nerds? Yes. All of, one of them has the voice of Mandark. Yeah, that's just nerd voice. <laughs> yeah, no. That's it... your standard cartoon nerd voice. Yep. Yep. Man. I, I love the bit characters on this. Not not that one in particular, just because I've seen him before. But, like, Hustler Kid is a... It's That's a, the kid's a strong favorite. It's a fucking gem. <laughs> I like the miners, actually. The diggers? The diggers, excuse me. Yeah, they show up almost every episode, I feel like. Yeah, they're they're iconic. I think they might have like strong voice actors as part of it. Yeah, there was actually I was looking through the bit character voice actors. There's a lot of talent here. Oh yeah. I mean, King Bob say nothing of anything else. King Bob is great. <laughs> I think that um, also uh, one of uh, uh, Lars, one of Lars's friends, Lawson. One of Lawson's friends is the voice <laughs> of Robin. So I'm sure you can get some some mileage out of whatever conspiracy or theory holds that together. Oh man, <laughs> Lawson is Slade's. Like, nope, lost it. Let me help you out here, Cadmus. Cadmus. Fucking Cadmus. Anyway. Uh, Do you hear they might be trying to pull back uh, Young Justice for his third season? I saw that. Yeah, I, I don't see it happening. And if it does happen, I'm going to be really upset because, uh, I mean... I'll, it's not going to hold up. Uh, I mean, I'll like it. But it won't have yeah. my favorite character. And it'll instead have a character that I felt absolutely no love for, whom everybody seems to like a lot. Which one's which? Uh, it wouldn't have um, it wouldn't have Kid Flash. It would have the new Kid Flash, uh, uh, otherwise known as Impulse, whom I really disliked in that show. I I feel like he gets a bad rap in every incarnation. Really? I mean, you know more about Flash than I do. From the comics, yeah, he's like nobody likes him. <laughs> I have some friends who would very strongly disagree with you. They love Impulse, really? and I can't figure out why. I'll, I'll require some evidence from them. Yeah. Well, but, well, um, one of them happens to be my nemesis. So, I don't know. Dude, you have a nemesis? Yeah, have I not told you this? Uh, maybe. Yeah, he's he's like this uh I don't know. I, I don't want to try to characterize yeah, him on mic because we, it's We don't we don't need to cruel. give details. <laughs> it's kind of cruel to do that. Like he can't defend himself. But yeah, I totally have a nemesis. We we like when we met, we instantly just started disliking each other and like we can't help but snipe at each other from across the room whenever we see each, like for like two cats in a yep. sack. Yep. That's uh tender tender um All right. yeah uh we should start wrapping up sure thing yeah we've been going on a long time because of so many technical issues and yeah. it's a shame if this show if, if this episode comes out less strong than other ones we've done it will be a shame because this is such a great show like this is yep. this is in the win column 
Like this yeah. is up there with like, mm, I don't know. I would say Shaolin Showdown, you know, mm-hmm. Shaolin Showdown tier. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 consistently you know, funny and you know imaginative. Got that polish. It has yeah, that polish. If, if if we had this many technical issues on a less strong show or one that I hadn't seen as many episodes of, I would have just said like, let's write Scrap it off it. and and <laughs> just skip an episode. Like yeah, the Tasmanian double that shit. Yeah, <laughs> retcon. Never happened. Don't know what you talk about. <laughs> Don't know what you talk about, man. Uh, <laughs> okay, Boomhauer. Um, yeah, but but this is such a strong show. I'm glad we got to talk about it. I want to bring mm-hmm. it back later. Um, I want you to start talking about, uh, you know, um, I want you to start talking about Principal Prickly. I think Principal Prickly might be my favorite kind of principal. Like, the, I like him so much more than a Skinner. The, like, child at heart? Yeah, child at heart principal. Yeah. They have that one episode where um, he and TJ, like uh duel with their comic book knowledge and it's incredibly yes. like intricate it's like whoa who was the editor on issue 342 of what was the comic they were talking about fusion something uh senior fusion senior fusion <laughs> what a yeah. what a good prickly, fake comic name just just wrapping up prickly like he's got this sort of barely restrained barely holding it together kind of character that was so prevalent in hey arnold yeah no um, he, he's like uh like tucker's dad he's like chafing. the coach he's just chafing at everything about the world totally he's about to join a commune forget about it um <laughs> anyway yeah we, we talked a lot about characters in this episode i think but the characters are so strong and it's not to say that yeah. the rest isn't strong go watch it if you haven't make right. up some meme shirts and then fucking burn them because we don't need that Anyway, uh, Zane, what are we watching next? We are going to watch Ugly Americans, which, um, since we had so many issues, I started watching quite a bit already. It's, um, it's good. I think we'll have plenty to talk about. It's just, um, they're getting a little samey after, you know, one after another. Uh, within that show or within watching cartoons? Because if we've uh, gone within, through 61 that... cartoons and it didn't get samey, but 62 is just the straw that broke no, the with, camel's back. With, within, within the show, it's, um, you know, it's always interesting to see what kind of monster-type people they bring in, but the problems themselves are, uh, you know, fairly consistent. In the same way, I guess, in this show, but it's it's not as... Um, I almost think that the problems are all varied, but the solutions are this are are similar in this show. The, I guess I guess what I can say is the quality of the episodes are not necessarily consistent, but mm. I might go back on that. Cool. Anyway, uh, what? Uh, how about after that? I wanted to do another throwback to a really old one, and I can't get Hanna Barbera out of my mind. I don't know if this is actually Hanna Barbera. I didn't do any research at all, but it like occupies this weird memory space like i'm aware that it existed and i don't know anything else about it um okay do you remember the snorks oh man i remember them popping up in like comic book advertisements from the way back to- uh, check online quickly to make sure that you can actually find episodes <laughs> uh if we can't find it we will come up with something else for the next episode after that you know i'm sure we can find it how about Jabberjaw? <laughs> they probably are. What about okay. the Smurfs? Uh, it was Hanna-Barbera. 
<laughs> I feel like they're all Hanna-Barbera. Yeah, Any, and, you, you kind of can't get away from it. where okay. characters are running and the background does that loop, that's Hanna-Barbera. You know what? Maybe I'll just I'll, I'll just muddle it over and see if I can find something else, but let's, let's put Snorks in for our tentative recommendation for next time, and we'll see how it goes. Anyway, uh, I will see you next time, and much like Vincenzo's succulent roast beef, stay moist and tender. silly it's really hard to write this up while you do it Zane, please stop doing that. <laughs> God, he's doing it again.